If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 4. I'm going to be in verses 13 to 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. If you're visiting us and you are using a Bible in a chair, it is found on page 1073. If you do not own a Bible, please take that as our gift to you. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. If you're able to, please read, please stand for the reading of God's word. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. November 2019 in Wuhan, China, it was discovered, the virus was discovered, the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. This infectious disease, it affects the respiratory system. And the thing is that that virus did not remain in Wuhan, China. Instead, it spreaded rapidly to where by mid-January of 2020, the first case was reported in the United States in West Virginia. By March of 2020, it was all around the world in such a way that the entire world shut down, so to speak. Normal life as we knew it then was immediately brought to a halt, to a standstill. Had many catastrophic effects as many, many, many people lost their lives. Some people lost jobs. Even when we think about, even when we just say the word 2020, people are just like, oh, don't take me back there. Plans went into shambles. Think about it. Businesses had to close. Conferences became canceled. Vacations immediately got rescheduled. Wedding venues had to shut down. People had to get creative as to when and how they would get married. You see, in 2020, we were immediately confronted with the reality that we are not in control. That regardless of how much we plan, we can't bring into fruition the very things that we planned. That we don't control our moments, our plans, our days, our lives. And though we know this subconsciously, 
In arrogance, we still function as if we are in total control, as if we are the Lord of our days, Lord of our calendars. We function as if we are God himself. As you survey the scriptures from beginning to end, you will see that only God is God. That he is the only one who is in control of everything, that his sovereignty is pervasive. And that by virtue of us being creatures, we are to submit. We have to, whether we like it or not. And by virtue of, by God's grace, us being redeemed, the disposition of our hearts to his sovereignty should be one of joyful submission. Because he is the king and he is a good king. He is a gracious king. That what he wills is consistent with his character. Beloved, we who have placed our faith in Jesus... We're to follow Jesus. As we saw in the life of Jesus, he was submissive to the will of the Father. We who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we confess him to be the Lord of our lives. Well, if Jesus is the Lord of our life, that means he's also the Lord of our day-to-day. That means he is Lord of our plans. It doesn't mean we don't plan, but that does mean that we plan with open hands. Knowing that his purposes and his plans are what we are to yield to with humility. And not only that, but also that when we plan, we plan in full dependence upon him. James instructs us this very morning in this passage that our planning is to be marked by humility. So our big idea for this passage is this. As Christians, humbly submit yourselves to the Lord's will. As Christians, humbly submit yourselves to the Lord's will. I have two points from the passage, words of exhortation, First is, don't plan presumptuously. Second, plan with humility. Don't plan presumptuously, but plan with humility. So last time, we saw James was unfolding and unpacking for us what does it look like for us to walk in humility, to walk in repentance and humble ourselves before God that we submit to God, and that we humble ourselves before the Lord. And that humility, it has relational ramifications to how we are to relate to one another. We don't look down, we don't slander, we don't condemn. Instead, we show love. It not only has relational ramifications, it also has personal and professional ramifications. That as we seek to plan out our lives, as we seek to plan out our day-to-day, 
We are to do it with an open hand to him and being fully dependent upon him. We're to seek him and humbly submit to him. That brings us to our first point, what we shouldn't do. Well, we shouldn't plan presumptuously. Look at verse 13 and 14. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. With strong language, James is summoning what I believe to be Christian businessmen. He is summoning them with strong language for their arrogance and how they were planning. Now, it's likely that these men were wealthy. At least they wasn't hurting. You can see it in the text. They had the means to travel to such and such city. They had the means to live in such and such place for an extended period of time. They were pretty confident that their trade was going to make a profit. But why did James rebuke them? Well, it wasn't because of their planning. It wasn't because of their pursuit of a prophet. In fact, chapter 4, verse 15 alludes to the fact that it is good to plan. For he says, if the Lord wills, we would live and do this or that. So as you hear this, don't throw away your calendar in and of itself. Don't burn it up or delete it. Also, work is a good thing. Proverbs talk about this pretty frequently. In Proverbs chapter 6, the author is telling his son to look at the ants who planned for the future, who are laboring to get food now in light of the season that is to come. Proverbs 15 verse 22 talks about how in the abundance of counselors, plans actually succeed. Work, it is good as it is a means to provide for oneself, one's family, to give towards the church, to support other ministries. So why did James rebuke them? James rebuked them for their arrogance and their pride. The problem wasn't that they're planning, that they planned. The problem was the disposition of their hearts in the midst of the planning. They spoke definitively about their future as if it was a promise from God. Notice what wasn't in verse 13. There is nothing mentioned about the Lord, about prayer. It was as if it wasn't even in the realm of possibility that their plans won't come into fruition. But notice what is there. The word will, and that word is in the future tense, and in fact, every verb in verse 13 in the original language is in the future tense. They spoke definitively as if this was certain to happen for them. When they going to do something, where they were going to go, how long they were going to be there, what they were going to do, and the outcome of their work. They spoke so definitively as if they were in total control of their lives. 
pride being evident. Because out of the mouth flows from the heart. Beloved, this word isn't just for Christian businessmen, for how often do we ourselves plan and speak definitively as if this is going to happen? How often do we plan our lives out to the very T and speak so definite? Think about when we were kids after we graduated from high school. I'm going to go to this college and major, have this major. I'm going to graduate at this time. Then I'm going to move away and live in this city. I'm going to work at this place. I'm going to get married to this type of person. I'm going to have this many kids. I'm going to live in this tax bracket. How often do we still do that very type of planning in our lives today? That this is the area of the country that I'm going to live. We speak definitively as if because we want it and because we plan it, we assume that it's going to happen. Just as we pictured. Beloved, what you hear in verse 13 isn't a thy will be done, but a my will be done. As if God has given us the attribute of his sovereignty. As if we are in total control of creation and our own lives. Seeking to play God like Jim Carrey in the movie, Bruce Almighty. Instead of Bruce, you replace his name with yours. This has been going on since sin entered into the world. Since sin entered the world, humanity has always had this tendency to exalt ourselves, to where we push God aside and seek to play him. As if we're the ones who are sovereign and self-sufficient and independent. As if we need no one and nothing and as if we can bring into fruition the very things that we want and will. Beloved, this frame of thinking is not marked by humility but marked by pride, arrogance. James in verse 16 would say this is evil. This is the very opposite of humbling ourselves before the Lord, of submitting ourselves to the Lord. Rather, it's an expression of seeking to stand above him. James in verse 14 gets at the folly of such disposition of heart, where he goes on and says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. This type of planning and speaking definitively is foolish because we are ignorant as it pertains to the future. We do not know. We are finite creatures with limited knowledge. We have so little control. We don't even know what is going to happen the very next moment. This evening, 
tomorrow, yet alone our entire lives. Like as we really think about it, how many of our lives have gone exactly as we have planned it? To the very T. The trials that we had to endure, that God was with us in, how many of us actually planned those? The triumph that by God's grace he gave us, how many of us actually planned those long ago? How many of us, for our lives went exactly as we have mapped it out? None of us. Beloved, we don't know the future. We can plan and it's good to plan, but we don't know. We can't control. We are not sovereign or omniscient or omnipotent. We are finite, frail, feeble. We won't even live forever in this life. James goes on to say that very thing next. He says, for what is your life for you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. He uses the simile of a vapor to describe, to illustrate the brevity of life and the certainty of death. It is a mist. It is like steam. You see it, and then immediately, in seconds, it's gone. James is saying that our lives on this earth are that brief. Regardless of how many years you live, regardless of how many decades, brief. We are here for a little while, and then we vanish. Scripture is abundantly clear in this. Psalm chapter 39, verse 5 says, In fact, you have made my days just inches long, and my lifespan is nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands only as a vapor. Psalm chapter 102, verse 3 says, For my days vanish like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. Life is brief and death is certain. Reason being is because we're sinners. When Adam rebelled in the garden, sin entered the world, and the scripture says death came through sin. And death has spread to all men because all have sinned. That's why we die. Beloved, we don't know when we going to die, we don't know where we going to die, we don't know how we going to die, but we do know that we're going to die. We won't live here forever. And when we die, so do our plans. This is why it's arrogant and foolish to plan presumptuously, because we don't know. In fact, this should confront us and cause us to plan with humility. Like as the psalmist we read in our scriptural call to worship, Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days carefully. 
so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Since we don't know when, but we do know that, we're seeking God to help us live the brief moments with wisdom. Love of the brevity of life and the certainty of death should cause us to reorient our lives for not living for ourselves, but living for Christ, our King who reigns. To not cling to our plans, but to his promises. Because our plans are temporal, but his kingdom is eternal. It should beckon us to not live for what's temporal and what's uncertain, but for what's eternal and for what is sure. Instead of trying to resist and reject our finitude, it would be wise for us to embrace it and to know our limitations and to recognize who is sovereign and who is not. For his kingdom will come. His will will be done. So friends, if you're visiting here and you do not know yourself, you know yourself to not be a Christian, I am glad that you are here As you know, all of us will die one day. It is certain. And what's also certain is that we will live eternally somewhere. God's kingdom will come. He will bring it into fruition. And all and only all who have trusted in Jesus will be with him in his benevolent kingdom because our sins have been atoned for. By faith in Christ. Jesus is the Son of God who came, who lived on this earth, who died as a sacrifice for sins, who rose from a grave, who inaugurated his kingdom, and who will one day consummate it when he returns. Friends, it is this king that you will have to stand before. It is this king that you will have to give an account for your life. And the only way to be spared from judgment is by trusting in Christ, who took it on behalf of sinners and rose from the grave. And so, friends, if you do not know yourself to be a Christian, I would beckon you to trust in Jesus and have life in him. If you want, you can talk more with members after service, for we love to have these convos. James here made clear the brevity of life and the certainty of death. The folly to plan presumptuously because we do not know the future, but we know the one who does. We know the one who is sovereign over it. For he is the eternal king. As we read in the scriptural call to worship, he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the king who reigns, who rules, who is good. It is before him that we are to humbly submit ourselves before. Well, how does that impact our day-to-day living? Well, it causes us to plan with humility, 
brings us to our second point, plan with humility. James gives instruction on our language and the posture of our heart as it pertains to our plans. Look at verse 15. He says, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. These four words communicates the totality of God's sovereignty, that he is the covenant-making and covenant-keeping Lord who reigns over the cosmos, that everything a part of creation is in subjection to him alone, that his sovereignty is so pervasive that it is over every inch of creation. The sky, the water, rulers, our birth, our boundaries, and time and where we live, the very hairs of our head, he is sovereign over it all. Not only that, it is his decrees and his plans that he alone is committed to bringing into fulfillment. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 and 10 says, remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all, all, all my will. Beloved, God's will is the only will that will be done. Let me say that again. God's will is the only will that will be done. And as those who have been saved by his grace, who have been brought into his kingdom, who are children of him in Christ Jesus, it is, this is what we want. We want his will to be done. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray this in Matthew 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we want God's will to be done on earth, what that implies is that we also want God's will to be done in our lives. In our lives as it is in heaven. Christ modeled this for us. For in his earthly ministry, he himself said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in the garden of Gethsemane, in loom of the cross, when he was going to drink the cup of wrath, as he was sweating drops of blood, remember his prayer. Father, let this cup pass me. Remember how he concluded it. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Knowing that judgment he was going to take on our behalf, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. His submission is what led to our salvation as he died and rose and conquered Satan's sin and the grave. 
The scripture says in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And as his people, as followers of King Jesus, we're to echo the very same prayer, your will be done to where we plan with open hands. We have a humble disposition before him, for we do not know the future. And so we are to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. For the future is far beyond our control. We are not decisive as it pertains to those things. You know, growing up, Specifically, in like middle school and high school, some of my friends, they had like a really nice house, and they have sleepovers. And they'd tell me like, "Man, on Monday, yo, man, I'm having a sleepover this weekend. You know, give me the details. We're gonna play this game, Madden. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go at it, NBA streets. We're gonna have this candy, these snacks, all this stuff like that. Man, can you come? And I get so excited hearing the news." Like, man, that sounds real good, um, but I got to talk to my mom. <laughs> Regardless of how much I wanted to say yes, the decision wasn't mine. Regardless of how much I planned for the weekend, like, man, I'm going to beat you in this. We're going to eat this. We're going to stay up this late. We're going to play dominoes. Regardless of any of those plans, the final decision to actually go and participate wasn't up to me. It was up to the one who is over me. See, my mom, she had the authority to say yes or no to where I could potentially go. And what James is saying here is that though we make plans, the decision for the future is not up to you and I. We don't control it. The Lord does. Just as I was dependent upon my mom to be able to go to the sleepover, we are dependent upon the Lord for any plan to come into fruition. This is how Christians live. The scriptures make this clear. Acts chapter 17, verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Acts chapter 18, verse 21, but he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you if God wills. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7, I don't, he said, I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend time with you if the Lord allows. We are dependent upon the Lord. And so should we plan? Absolutely. Plan. Get out the calendars and write things down. Should we pray for it? Absolutely. Should we work 100% and we are to do it all with humility, with open hands to God? Saying the phrase in our heart and even verbally, Lord willing, I will do this. Lord willing, we will hang out. Lord willing, I will travel for the job. Lord willing, I will return. For we don't know. 
Beloved, is this your heart posture as it pertains to the plans of your life? Does the phrase, if the Lord wills, ever show itself in your speech? Is it evident in your conduct? The reality is, we can say this. We can also say it as a bit of a formality. The evidence of our sincerity in the statement is made clear in how we respond when God's plans and His will for us is totally different than our plans and our will for our lives. Beloved, how do you respond when your preferred candidate don't win the election? When you have to cancel a vacation? When the house you placed a bid on, your bid didn't get accepted? The very promotion you was hoping for never came. Beloved, how do you respond? Should we grieve? Absolutely. Those things are difficult. They're hard. We should draw near. And if we're only complaining and only bickering and only grumbling and we're angry at God, then regardless of how many times you said, if the Lord wills, it was not sincere. We should trust the Lord's goodness, his sovereignty over our lives. In the difficult moments, reach out to the body and ask, man, ask for prayer and encouragement. Y'all, man, I'm struggling and submitting humbly and joyfully to the Lord's will. Reality is, I'm going to (laughs) submit, whether I like it or not, but I want to submit in a way that magnifies Jesus. I need your prayers and I need your encouragement in that. Saying if the Lord wills is an easy thing to say and it's a hard thing to actually live out. Because it's so easy for us to really get our hopes up. And there are a lot of good things that we actually want. The question to consider is, where is it hard for you to submit yourself to the Lord's will? Pertain to your employment, family, finances, your future, beloved, where and why? Now, this would be good to discuss in D groups. It'd be good to discuss as a household. Because where we struggle to really say, if the Lord wills, it is those areas where there's evidence of unbelief. It is those areas to where we assume that we know better, that we are wiser, and that we are greater than God himself. Where we are tempted to distrust, when we are tempted to distrust 
the Lord's will over our lives, I would encourage us to immediately think about your salvation in Christ Jesus. Because all of that was according to the Lord's will. Think about your election that preceded time. You didn't choose yourself. God in his love and grace chose you. Think about the sending of the Son of God for our salvation. That was not our plan, but that was his eternal plan and him sending his Son. Think about the regeneration that the Spirit of God has done in your heart, bringing you from death to life. Think about your justification in Christ Jesus to where Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you by faith. That was not your doing. It was according to the gracious will of God. Think about your sanctification and who you once was and how Christ more and more is conforming you into the image of him. That is not according to your will, but according to his. And think about your glorification that is to happen on that final day to where you would be freed from the presence of sin. Beloved, that was not according to yours or my will, but according to his. When it's difficult for us to say, if the Lord wills, we have to remember that God has always been for us. That he always has. And it's remembering who he is, what he has done, where he is taking us. When we think about those things, by God's grace, we are strengthened to humbly and joyfully and sometimes tearfully submit ourselves to the Lord's will. Beloved, when you think about God's sovereign will over your life, Know that his sovereign will is exercised in conjunction with his other attributes. His goodness, his love, his holiness, his wisdom, his righteousness. All those attributes are at work as he's exercising his sovereign will over our lives. Theologian Stephen Sharnock would say it this way, his dominion is not tyrannical or oppressive or unmerciful, but perfectly good, just, and wise. In all the exercises of his sovereign right, he is never unattended with those perfections of his nature. Because he is God, because he is holy, because he is good, Beloved, we have every reason to humbly trust his sovereign will over our lives. To where when we plan, we can joyfully plan with open hands. If the Lord wills, we will live in the future and do this or that. We are totally and utterly dependent upon him. You know, one of the reasons why I'm so encouraged about this passage is that I hear more and more church members say, Lord willing. I mean, I see you next week, Lord willing. 
What it shows is it begins to express a total dependence upon him as it pertains to the future. Think of how set apart that would be towards our unbelieving friends. So we say, man, yo, hang out next week. Yeah, Lord willing. Think about that. Think about the type of witness that that shows, because what it shows is that, yeah, I don't determine those things, and neither do you. Now, it's important for us to know that you don't have to say, if the Lord wills, every time, but it does have to be the posture of our hearts. We can say words like, man, I plan to see you, possibly, or we can say, Lord willing. Beloved, James is encouraging us to humble ourselves, and part of humbling ourselves is knowing that we are not sovereign over our day-to-day, but God is. And it's good. Therefore, we can actually rest. We can plan, but we don't have to fret. Because he is for us and he is with us. James is given this instruction in verse 16 and 17. He says, But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Making known that the plans that they were doing, it was rooted in arrogance and pride. That there was no reverence of the Lord, no mention of him, no obedience to him. This goes against Christ's example and his instruction. To speak so definitively about our future goes against Jesus' example and his instruction. And James says that it is evil. And as a people, we're to be marked by humility. In fact, instructs us here, and the instruction leads to an action. Verse 17, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. What many commentators would say is James is going from a particular problem to a general principle. He calls it sin. Some may wonder how. The reality is we have sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are those to which you do what is prohibited. You transgress the law, just like Adam did. Don't eat fruit from this tree, and he did it. Sins like adultery or murder or gossip, things that we've been prohibited from doing, if we were to do them, these are sins of commission. But these aren't the only ways to sin against God. One can also sin in omission, meaning by failing to do the very thing that you should do. What does this look like? Well, it's like, man, in noticing a church member weeping, and you just ignore them and just keep it moving. Sins of Omission are like the very sins in Luke chapter 10 with the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Not showing love to the one who is hurting. 
to know that, man, yo, I'm supposed to do this, and I'm falling short of that intentionally, deliberately. James says that this is serious, or he labels it sin. And as his people, we are to honor Christ our King. We are to live for him and for his kingdom and in submission to him. So instead of planning with clenched fists, we plan with open hands. Lord, your will be done in my life. James is giving this exhortation that this is how we are to live. This is what genuine faith lives out, looks like in the day-to-day, in the planning. Open hands and humility before him. If the Lord wills. Humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves to his plan and purposes for our own lives. Beloved, how are you doing with this? How are you doing with planning with open hands? If you're convicted, we have to remember, as we talked about last week, the Lord gives greater grace. The Lord forgives all who turn, who repent. He meets our confession with his cleansing, and he gives grace. And with our faith to be exhibited in our humility and submission to his will. Knowing that our plans may not come into fruition, but his promises certainly will. And so instead of putting our hope in what we desire, we put our hope in what he has said. In the eternal kingdom that will come into fruition when Jesus Christ returns. For if you putting your hope there, that is not planning presumptuously, but with humility, because God has promised it. And he who promised is faithful. Beloved, our King will come, and before him we will bow. May we do that in our plans in this life as we anticipate his return and being with him for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we pray that more than anything, we desire for your will to be done. Your will over our plans. Your purposes over ours. For you are the king, not us. You have been so gracious towards us. Help us, O Lord, to live in faith and in obedience. For you are worthy. We depend on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the next two songs we're going to sing, we're going to sing about...